part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this morning uh, we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple other verses, but Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be the the main place. But uh, have you ever noticed, you know, that not every criminal that's out there is really intelligent? Have you noticed that, you know, we live in a day and time, almost everything that we do in life is taped nowadays. And it's really surprising to me that there are still people that can go and commit a robbery. Number one, I'm not endorsing a robbery or anything, but, you know, that they somehow don't know that they're being filmed. Did you hear about this young lady? Uh, It was in Georgia. I think it was Florida. She had a couple Jarrett's, you know, instead of he went to Jarrett's, she went to Jarrett's. And it's one of those things where she knocked off about four or five different places. But these are some of the pictures that they have of her. I mean, she's looking right at the camera there. Uh, can we go on to the next one? Just kind of scroll through. I mean, it's kind of hard to hide who you are when these cameras are kind of looking at every detail of your life. Go on to the next one. And, and so they caught her in all these different places, actually stealing the jewelry, going out. They did eventually catch her. I think she's under trial now. And so it will be, you know, will she be proven guilty? It's going to be kind of hard to deny that this is you in that picture. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, no, again, number one, guys, I'm not ascribing to uh, the becoming a thief, okay? I, but there's something about a dumb thief. I mean, I, I mean, if, if, you know, if I was going to do that, I would wear a mask, I would go at night, I would do something, because you just got to know in this day and time, in a place like that, that you are being recorded. Well, I want you to think about that, okay? I want you to think about that for a second. Because I want you to know in the same way that you just have to know that you're, she's being recorded. You just got to know, you go into a place that has diamonds and jewels, and that you're going to be recorded. You just got to know that. I, I want you to know, you just got to know that if you're married and you have children, you're being recorded. You just got to know that. You just got to know. And, and guys, we're not going to ace the test. The, the one thing I want you to know is that none of us are going to ace this test. And we're going to talk about that at the very end for all those who failed. And every one of us will raise our hands and say, man, we, we have not lived up to these five things. And yet that's where the hope of Christ comes in. That's where grace and mercy and the power of the very Holy Spirit comes in so that we can, you know, have this marriage that reflects the gospel and the hope of Christ. And so this morning, I want you to know that you are being recorded. And here's the second thing. God designed it that way. It was not man that came up with the family unit. It was not government. It was not the church. It was God himself that said, okay, a man and a woman are going to marry and they're going to have children. Remember what we saw last week in Genesis chapter 2? That when God pronounced the marriage of Adam and Eve, he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And we said, how strange, because Adam and Eve didn't have a mother and father. But what that shows is that there's a forethought, there's a plan for marriage that God had long before Adam and Eve even come along. And you and I get to embrace that gift of God. So, so we understand our kids are watching, and we begin to see with this uh, theme that we have this year of Christ as the center of our life, truly being Christ-centered and family-focused, what does that mean to us as parents? Uh, I, I know I just told you Ephesians chapter 5, so stay there. But let me read to you what we covered just a couple weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can just look on the, on the screen for this. Chapter 6, verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Remember, the the Hebrew there is to make an impression upon them. 
You know, it doesn't mean that you just kind of do this lightly. It means that you leave an impression. It doesn't mean you beat your kids, but it means that there's this theme is so consistent in the way that you live your life that it leaves an impression. In the same way we said, if you sat down, remember those old um, lawn chairs that have the weave? And you'd have them in your bathing suit and you sit down. And if you sit down for two seconds, it doesn't really leave an impression. But if you sit down for two minutes... Or for an hour, you stand up and you got waffle thighs. You know, you're just walking and, you know, you can see that impression. Why? Because you were there long enough for that pattern to be ingrained upon your flesh. That's what that word means in Deuteronomy 6-7. Parents, you make this impression upon your children. And it talks about nine days, 24-7, seven days a week. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, God is telling us right there, folks, that this is very purposeful parenting. This is not parenting by default. This is not parenting, you know, just when you feel like it. This very much is parenting with a purpose, knowing that the camera is always on and that you're always being recorded. And while this is true in all things, it's especially true in this covenant of marriage. And uh, I, I want you to know that there are a few times that Carly and I, we sat down and we formally taught our children, our two girls. One's married, one's about to get married in December. And we, we formally taught them about marriage. There was a couple times. But I can name on one hand, one hand, guys, the times that we sat down and formally taught our girls about marriage. And yet... For 26 years for the older one, for 20 years in the younger one, we've been teaching them about marriage. Five times, maybe at most, that we've sat down and had a formal thing. Hey, here's what marriage is. Here's what the Bible says. But every day of their lives as they were growing up, they were seeing, okay, is Christ reflected here? So this is something that we do on purpose. Uh, 90%, 99% of the lessons that your children learn are caught instead of taught. And I don't know that there's a parent alive, if you have a, a kid that's two, three, four, or five years old, that has not so embarrassed you in the midst of... Uh, we have a lot of teachers here. And teachers, you've been there before. When you're having this discussion, and then all of a sudden this kid, this six-year-old kid goes, well, my mom and my dad fill in the blank. And you're just, you're embarrassed for the kid. The kid's not embarrassed. I was a student minister for many years as I started ministry, and we would be talking about a subject, and the kids would say, well, you know, my dad cusses at home all the time. And I'm going, okay, and he's a deacon in the church or something. You know? And all of a sudden, you know, the kid's just throwing you under the bus. They don't mean to. In other words, they're just living out life, and they want to see a similarity. Here's what we're taught, but here's what I'm catching. And so with that in mind, we want to go this morning and see five things. I'll try to be very brief. But very important things, five things that your kids, I pray, will see in your marriage that you model for them. Number one, number one, the need for Christ. The most important thing that you can teach your children from your marriage is your need for Christ. None of us are going to ace this marriage test. None of us are going to do it perfectly. I don't care how much you love your wife. I don't care how much you love your husband. I don't care what good person you are. There's many days that you just do not feel like submitting, serving, loving, sacrificing. And on those days, there's going to be that part of rebellion. There's going to be that part of you that just looks over there and goes, you better be glad I love you because I sure don't like you. That's marriage, guys. Not every day. Not every day, but that's, that's days in marriage. 
And I don't know of any couple, I don't care how godly you are, that hasn't had at least moments of that. And so what it shows is that we have a need for Christ. His point is, we're not sufficient in our own. We're not going to attain some kind of you know, superiority just by able to ace this whole life test. And so we have this need for Christ. And we saw last week that this marriage thing is a gift from God. By design, it is to be the very foundation of our society. But I want to tell you this morning, and here's one of the biggest mistakes that I see people making. And I say this not in a judging way, but just as, an observ- you know, as a commentator of people who have worked with, you know, somebody who's worked with marriages for 33 years. If you don't remember anything else in this sermon, remember this, guys. There is a huge, huge difference between being Christians who are married and having a Christ-centered marriage. Huge difference. Any two people who have professed Christ, they truly have trusted Christ for their Savior. They're Christians. They can get married. And so there will be two Christians who are married. But that does not mean that you have a Christ-centered marriage. By the grace of God, you're saved. And so you're Christians. You decide to get married, so you're Christians now that are married. But it doesn't mean that you're Christ-centered in your marriage. And I promise you, to be, have a truly a Christ-centered marriage is not a decision you make one day, one time. You make it day after day after day. See, my natural bent is to put me as the center of my life. And you probably have a little bit of that bent in you too. As much as you might love Jesus, you have this bent to kind of do life your own way. And so continually, it doesn't mean I lose my salvation. I shared with you before, I love what Spurgeon said. Man, if I based my Christianity on my emotions or my actions, I would have been lost and saved 12 times just today. The consistency of, is what Christ has done. He, he paid the cost once and for all. So we're secure in our Christianity. But to have a Christ-centered marriage, it means that you're constantly saying, okay, I, I want to surrender myself behind the cross and, and put this marriage there at the very, very center uh, of, of the cross and trust Christ for it. Christianity is something that you can play with on Sunday, but, but you're going to, you know, your kids will see if you live it out Monday through Saturday. And, and especially when they get to be teenagers. If you've had the joy of having teenagers, uh, part of that joy is there's a, a stage about 11 to 15 and some extended on longer, but, but about 11, 12 to 15 or 16 where we are probably the most hyper-hypocritical in our being than ever. We see everybody else's problems and none of our own. We all went through it. Somehow we survived it. But I promise you, every one of us go through that. Your kids will go through that. I don't care how godly and wonderful they are. There's just that part. And, And they will see, okay, mom and dad talk a big Christian game at church or in front of their Christian friends, but are they really living it out? And so one of the things that you can consistently show in your marriage is this humility of saying, I need, we need Christ. Mom and Dad, is not, we're not getting this perfect. We're, we're messing up on this sometimes more than we're acing this. And we need Christ in our lives. It's kind of like after a debate. Have you ever watched the debate? And the politicians, I mean, I, I know it's kind of sickening sometimes. And so they have these fact checkers afterwards. Like in the next day, they'll have, okay, go through. Here's what this candidate said. Here's what this person said. Here's the actual truth. Well, that's what kids do. 
They hear what's said on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, you know what they are? They're little fact checkers. And they go around and they're going, okay, does this really live up to what you said on Sunday? You know, you said that, you know, Christ was going to be the center. Are you really living for that? Ephesians 5.21. Here's what Paul said. He said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul, in this intimacy of talking about marriage, he talks about submission and, you know, we, we're familiar with that about wives submit to your husband. But I, I want you to know right from the very beginning that he did say that. But he says on the very front and the very end of that, he says, submit one to another. And here in this verse, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for who? For Christ. This obedience isn't because my wife is deserving of it. Her obedience is not because I'm deserving of it, because I'm acting good. No, because Christ is the center, because I want Christ to be the true supreme of my life, I come and I, I submit myself and my will to my wife out of reverence for Christ. So that's the first one. In your marriage, they should see a need for Christ. Number two, the need for submission, sacrifice, and serving. Quick question. How many of you were born selfish? Every one of us. We had a bent. The Bible says that you know, we had this nature of sin from the very beginning. And, and that nature of sin takes on selfishness. You don't have to have a kid. You know, some of their first words are mine. You know, take the toy, kind of grab it. Nobody else can have the toy. You can have ten toys. Nobody else have any toys. And yet there's that nature within us to say, these are my toys, mine. Nobody taught you that. That's the nature within us. And so this opposing nature to actually be submissive, to be sacrificial, to be serving, folks, it's one of the biggest lessons, I think, in this culture today that you can teach your kids. And the greatest way that you can demonstrate that is not in your uh, relationship with them, because there's a natural part of parenting that you are going to be kind of sacrificial for your kids. Your kids need this, you sacrifice where they're really going to see it tested is in the marriage. Do you have that same sacrificial merit, that, that spirit when it comes to your husband, your, your wife? Would you agree that we probably live in probably one of the most self-centered times of all of human history? I mean, it is, folks, we live in the world, and again, I'm not trying to just be down about our culture. I'm, I'm just saying we probably live in a time today more than ever that it's all about me. It's all about every The whole world revolves around me. Well, folks, your kids are growing up in that world. And I'm telling you, they already have this bent naturally there. I mean, if you isolate them, homeschooled, you took them only to church events, God forbid. You know, you took them only, and they were only around these Christian folks all the time and never around anybody else. I promise you, they're still going to have this bent towards selfishness. It's not something they were taught. It was something that is innate in us. It's the sin nature. But now we take that sin nature and we go out into the world and it starts to conform us even that much more. When the fa- I mean, here's a couple phrases that I've heard. My kids are a little bit older, but we heard it during those teenage years until we were nauseous. It's not fair. And I'm bored. Any parents ever hear that? If you have really young ones, the joy is coming your way. You just, you just way. It's not fair. 
Well, what's the basis of that whole statement? Hey, I deserve something here that I'm not getting, so it's not fair. What's the, the basis of this whole kind of mindset, you know, besides to say that it's not fair, that, you know, I'm bored. The world should be entertaining me. There should be something that's making me happy right now. Folks, these are just small little things. They're a part of the human nature that we have. Then we have the culture that reinforces that. Your marriage, your marriage is one of the antidotes to this. Now, again, I'm not trying to supplant the need for Jesus Christ here. Only he can really take and change our nature. But as far as this reinforcement, as you would serve your husband, wives, wives, as uh, husbands, as you would serve your, your wives, as we serve one another, submit one to another, we demonstrate to our kids, hey, it's not about being fair and it's not about being happy. This call that God has placed on our heart and our life is about being holy. And where do you think your kids are going to learn that in this culture. I I pray that they're learning at home. That's what Paul writes. Look what he writes. He gives this kind of, you know, left-right punch there. Uh, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to what? As to the Lord. He always brings it back to the cross. He always brings it back to Christ. He doesn't say, okay, you just submit because men are superior to women. God never said that. You won't find that in the Word. God did not make the superior one and the inferior one. It's not biblical. Jesus did more to try to erase that from a cultural mindset than anybody else on planet Earth. But here he says, look, I do have an order that I have within the household. And the man is supposed to be the spiritual leader. And so wives, you submit unto him as you're submitting to the Lord. This is something you do because God has said that this is a pattern. But look what it says in verse 25. Husbands, in case you go, yeah, you listen to that preacher now. Look what it says in verse 25. That familiar verse, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for it. That's sacrifice. I mean, the ultimate call, death on a cross. See, isn't that amazing how God made this? Okay, women submit, or not women submit to men. Let me clarify. You'll never find the Bible, women submit to men. What he says is, wives submit to what? Your husband, even. Not even another husband. This is not a male-female thing. This is a role that God has called us to. Okay? So you submit to your husband. Okay, husbands, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do you see how those things would interact in the perfection of God's command? And yet we're imperfect people. That's why we need Christ. That's why it always comes back as Christ is the center of this, giving us the examples there. Submission. It's not about our rights. It's about submitting to the good of others. Sacrifice. It teaches our children that they don't deserve this. Serving. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give. And I promise you, the greatest classroom is not, as much as I love I serve on Saturdays and 
and Tuesdays and all that and all these great things that, you know, that you're able to do as a body of Christ to go out and feed uh, those that are, you know, challenged in their life right now. Because that, that's something that we go out and do. But the greatest classroom is your marriage and your home. Dad, are you serving mom? Mom, are you serving dad? Are you submitting biblically to these relationships? Dad, are you sacrificially living in honor of your wife as Christ did the church? It's such a high calling. Nobody's going to ace the test. We need his help all the time. It's not your job, it's your role. It's not something God's forcing upon you. It's a calling that he calls you to. Let's get real. I mean, there's days you just don't want to submit. There's days you just want to sacrifice. There's days that, guys, you don't want to give the back rub. You want the back rub. Those days are going to come. And yet, if we can teach our kids it's not about us, then they will grow up learning that it's not about them. And I promise you, you are doing more to prepare them for a godly, Christ-centered marriage than you could ever believe in the simple things of, of going and serving your spouse. Anybody grow up in a home where it got so frictional? And maybe mom even said, what do I look like? You're made? I don't care if you're three years old, 13 years old, 18 years old. You receive that. And there's a part that you're going to reject that and say, that's just not right. You're going, yeah, that's what a wife is for. Go get me my beer. It comes to, guys, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm not trying to be cute. It just comes down to we're always being recorded. We're always being recorded. And God has given us this great opportunity called marriage, this beautiful relationship, to be able to teach our kids and how to prepare them. Third thing, moving along quickly, the need for forgiveness and conflict resolution. Teaching your kids forgiveness and conflict resolution. Unless your kids are going to grow up in a world that's conflict-free, they need to learn how to deal with conflict. And they need to know the biblical principles of forgiveness. And guess where they will see that, hopefully demonstrate it more than any other place, is in your marriage. We're perfect. I think that kids should, when we blow it, now again, age-appropriateness and family-appropriateness there, but guys, when we blow it and the family is aware of it, the kids are aware that dad blew it. He lost his cool. I think it's very appropriate that dad goes back and apologizes to mom in front of the family. Now, if it was something behind the scenes, don't bring the kids into it. They're scared to death as it is. I mean, they, they really are. Half their friends at school are from broken homes. And when they hear you fight, the thought that runs through their mind is we're next. My parents broke up when I was five years old. And guys, I'm just, when I've sat down with hundreds and hundreds of couples over these years, I'd go and I said, guys, you're trying to decide this thing. I'm here as an advocate for your child because I've been there. And they didn't get a vote in this. And I'm here to give them a vote. And I want to see God do restitution and repair this marriage for his glory, but also for your kids' sake. Now, please tell me, if, if you're here and you're divorced and you've remarried, this is not a scarlet letter. 
It is no different sin than any other sin. We're not trying to be judgmental here. I just want to, I want this high calling of marriage and I'm not going to apologize for this high calling that God has placed on marriage. Guys, if we, the church, do not strive for this purity, where in society are we going to get this? Where in society are we going to find it? So please don't hear judgment. Hear a high calling. And this high calling is to teach them this great need of forgiveness that we have. I mean, think about it. Let me ask you three questions. You answered these yourselves. Every mom, every dad here, every husband, every wife here. Do you forgive with strings attached? You know, is that the basis of forgiveness? Okay, I'll forgive you, but you're going to... Is that what we got from Christ? That he said, okay, I'll forgive you, Bobby, but here's what I expect out of you. You know the only thing I took to the cross? The only thing I took to the cross was my sin. That's all I took to the cross. That's all I had to give my Savior who was willing to die for me. And he died and forgave me with no strings attached. And that's the model that we want there. And so we've got to be careful that we're not modeling something different from gospel to our children. The second question I have, do you forgive but very little forgetting? Well, Bobby, I'm not God. It's not like, you know, my mind, it hurts so much. No, as much as we can, we forgive and we try to forget. I, I'm not saying that it's going to be erased from our mind. But you know what true biblical forgiveness is? It's knowing that there's a debt owed, but we cancel the debt. If you want to know the, the truest form of biblical forgiveness, we had a debt, our sin, and what did Christ do? He paid that debt and he canceled our debt. He did not demand of us to be paid. And, and so when we take that kind of forgiveness, that's the kind of forgiveness that you have. It's this forgetting going on. You canceled the debt. Third question. Do you forgive only when they've earned it? Kind of a version of that. Do you forgive only when the other person has earned it? It's not the gospel. It's not what Christ has done for you. And so we are wrong at that point to take that into our lives. It's a mockery of the gospel, folks. Here's what Christ did for us. Here's what Christ did for us. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what my Savior has done for me. That's what we model in marriage. And I pray that in our marriages that we're reflecting enough of this Christ-likeness so that, that our kids are going, okay, I look at mom and dad's marriage, but I see Christ in the midst of it because I see the way that they forgive one another and that they truly are. They're not perfect. They're far from perfect. And yet they're trying to restore and they have this forgiveness. Number four, the need for respect and honor. I could go off on a tirade on this one about our culture. The simplicity of yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, please. I could get into the really moral side of this, and there would be such a case to be made. I'm so privileged that I grew up with a mom and dad that taught me how to say yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And I'll go to McDonald's to this day, and the, you know, the 17-year-old girl, is that all for your order? Yes, ma'am. Well, you don't call me ma'am. I mean, I'm quite a bit older than her. I said, I'm still fearful that my dad's going to come around the corner. I go, what did I hear? Oh, you didn't say something. Honor and respect. 
So there's a lot there. But here's what I really mean by honor and respect. That as you would honor your wife, as you would honor your husband. Let's look again what it says. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. It's not going to be up here on the board, but if you're open to Ephesians 5, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. Look at verse 27. So he might present the church to himself in splendor. You know what that means? That Christ is doing this so that when he makes the presentation on that day before the Father, Christ has died, he's forgiven us our sin, he's taken our sins, given us his righteousness. Why? So that one day when we stand before God, that it can be done in honor. And he can say, God, here's your bride. You know who the bride is, biblically? That's us. Now, do we really, are we, you know, we're much more like the seven churches in Revelation than we are this glowing, beautiful bride. But it's in this Christ. He says he's washing the bride as we are to wash our wife to sanctify her. That is, we are trying to build her up in Christ. Here's one of my main jobs as a parent, as a husband, but as a parent, to ever be encouraging my wife's walk with Jesus Christ. To ever, not in a judgmental way, not in, well, if you were as holy as I was, we wouldn't have this problem. You know what her number one, you know, one of her biggest jobs is to encourage me in my walk with Christ. That's what honor and respect is. Look at verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Please, 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 wives, do not hear this in a sense of prejudicial, old-fashioned type of the guy's the important one. You're just kind of the, the sidecar. It's not what the Bible's talking about. It says, wives, you respect your husband. You know why? Let me just tell you the truth for every guy in here that won't say it out loud. Because I'm a really needy man. I need encouragement. And here's the thing. Because of that drive of needing encouragement in my life, I will seek it out. It will be the buddies on the, the basketball court. It will be in the workplace. It will be among other ladies. It will be somewhere. I'm going to get this encouragement because there's this need. It's selfish. I realize it. It's all based in making me the center. It's not a good thing. But I need encouragement. And so I need the right kind of encouragement. That's what Paul is saying. But guys, let me throw it right back to you. Have you ever read Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31 is about this noble woman. And a lot of times ladies will look at that list and go, wow, I hate Proverbs 31 because I'm not that kind of woman. Now, you know who's speaking there? Do you know who's speaking? Yeah. But in the sense of, and it's this adoration, she's not speaking about herself. You know, it's this wife is doing this in this Husband and the family, they see this in this woman and they're just going, man, you do all these things. You're, you're such a godly woman. Guys, I would pray that praise from your lips would reach your wife day after day after day after day. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Here's what kind of starts that whole list of all these things of this noble life. 
a wife. Here's, here's the first part of it, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. He's not saying like, man, I've tried ten of them and I cannot find. No, uh, again, he, no, what he's saying, okay, man, this is precious. An excellent wife, it's rare. Because look what he says after. She is far more precious than jewels. Guys, remember this. Your wife is not here for your pleasure. She is here as a treasure of God. Remember what we saw last week in Genesis 2? God makes Adam aware of this need in his life, this longing for a mate that's like him. He puts him to sleep. He takes the rib out. He creates him. And then he wakes him up and he says, Okay, you've been kind of waiting for this moment, crescendo. Here's your mate. And Adam, it's not recorded in the Bible. But I almost promise you, Ricky, he said, get out of here. It is, you can't see in the Hebrew that much, but it's, but it's there. You know, he's beside himself. This woman was not made for his pleasure primarily, but via treasure. And that's what it means, this respect. So, so here's, here's the call. Guys, Forever be praising, looking at the treasure of your wife and be praising her. Don't just say, well, she knows in my heart that's how I feel. I, I tell this not to prove my point. Again, I've told you, I've counseled couples, over a thousand couples in the last 33 years. And the ones that are in trouble, I'll ask them this question. Guys, when was the last time that it was good? Three years ago, seven years ago, ten years ago. Last month. And I asked, well, when was the last time it was good? Okay, now you got that time in your mind. Would you both agree that it was good? And, you know, they have a hard time sometimes remembering that, both remembering the time that it was good and agreeing to it. But once they agree, I said, what were you doing in your marriage at that time when it was good? Inevitably, inevitably, here's what they say. I mean, change the fill in the blank, but it's all the same. Well, she used to write little notes and put it in, in my lunch. Well, he used to call me or text me and say this. I haven't got a text like that in three or four years. Anyway, man, that's something really little. That, you know, just the, those little niceties, those, those little cutesy names, Pooh Bear, you know. Signs of honor, respect, and love. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again. When you allow your children to become the, become the primary focus of your family instead of your marriage, you got it out of order of what God did, and it will show up. And one of the areas that it shows up is that we begin to give all this tension and all this praise and all these things to our children. I understand it. I got two girls. I love them to death. But more, more than one occasion, we've sat our girls down. Uh, we, we would take a, a, a yearly date when it, when it was early in our marriage and we were broke. You know, it would be for one night somewhere. As we got a little bit more well off, it could be a whole week and a week in Hawaii. Well, you can imagine what the girls said. Y'all are going to Hawaii. I mean, we've taken them a couple times. But when we were going ourselves, why don't we get to go? And we would, without apology, 
say. Because this is the number one relationship in the house. And mommy and daddy will come back, better parents, better husbands and wives, better mommies and daddies, when we get it all biblically right and we just give honor to what God has instituted and called for. My girls would tell you today, we didn't have a lot of problems with them, but when they would get a smart mouth with their mother, they never did with me, and it wasn't so much that they were afraid of me, but if it just happens. Girls, girls, guys, guys. You know, it's a fight for who's going to be queen of the house, okay? So if you're a mom, it's just that's the territory, you guys, okay? It's, you're not alone in that. That's what it is. And they will tell you that the correction is you do not talk to your mother that way. You know what they heard from my mouth? I'm not trying to point myself. I'm just I want to get this so biblically right. You don't talk to my wife like that. I want to honor that supreme position so that one day as they're out there, now one's married, one's about to get married, that they would choose well. That they would choose well. I, I know it's getting late. Let me give you the last one. Each one of these could be a sermon. The need for affection and intimacy. Oh, I could preach three sermons on this. And I'm not, I know our mind instantly goes to the sensual, and it is that, but it's so much more than that. When we talk about honor and respect, honor and respect, always remember this, married couples, and, and ones that have been married want to be married. Honor and respect and intimacy flow together. Where there is no honor and respect, there is no intimacy. There could be sex, there could be this, there could be that, but there's not going to be intimacy in the truest sense of intimacy of the heart. As honor and respect go up, intimacy becomes a part of that relationship. Nowhere in our culture, nowhere in our culture are we being taught biblically intimacy on this level, affection on this level. I think, personally, it is 100% fine for you to totally gross out your kids by kissing appropriately in front of them, holding hands. Mom, Dad, come on, stop. You're embarrassing me. Show them proper affection. Show them proper, proper intimacy, proper affection. I've got so much more. We, we don't have time. Um, You hate, you know, where do you cut it off? Uh, last question. Those are the five points. Here's the, here, here's the question today. What if we've blown it? Welcome to the room. None of us have aced this test. Some have served better. Some have respected better. Some have honored better. Some have done this better. Some, you know, we're at different levels. But nobody has aced this test. That's why we need Christ. And that's why we have hope in Christ. Not hope in a marriage seminar. Marriage seminars are great. We're going to have one just in a couple months. We want to teach you, give you some handles to be able to, to, to have a better marriage. But the answer isn't date nights. The answer isn't, you know, more vacations in Hawaii. The, 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 the answer isn't, okay, we, we've learned these 14 things to do to show respect. The answer is Jesus Christ, guys. You will never be the husband that you're called to be. You will never be the wife that you're called to be without a meaningful, loving reliance in your life on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's why there's hope.
That's why we can gather today imperfect people with imperfect marriages, really blowing it, failing in a lot of this. And, and yet God gives us a draw back and says, do you want to start today? Yeah, I want to start today. He says, you just come to the cross. Come to the cross today. And that's my invitation to this morning. Just in your prayer time, as we were to reflect, that you would just come to the cross and say, I have not been that husband. I have not been that wife. But God, I just run to the cross today for mercy, for grace, for forgiveness, for, for the empowerment and the energy just to be able to, to, to put some of these things to, into to being in my life. I've run to you because you are the only source that I'm going to be able to, to, to accomplish this on any level. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, uh, I pray that you would take this uh, hurried attempt through your word this morning. And Father, that you would uh, just allow our hearts and our lives now to reflect upon that. Father, the kids have been patient and kind. Father, we've, we've had uh, opportunity to really be distracted throughout just because of uh, our family day and our worship time. Father, will you just draw us to your to the truth and to the cross? And, Father, that we might leave here, maybe not acing all of these five things, but at least being encouraged to know that if we hide ourselves in you, the finished work of your Son, that, Father, that you will make us that man, that wife, that husband, that woman, that will serve our children well, not by being perfect models, but showing them the need of the perfect one. Would you do that even this morning, Father, as we sing this last song and just reflect upon it? Would you lead us, Father? As we pray all these in Christ's name, amen. for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.